This morning we are going to cover a lot of ground, not because uh, that's my intention, but that's what uh, the Bible does. So we're going to talk about today suffering and the Christian, suffering and the Christian. And we're going to be uh, towards the end of your Bible today in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to start reading in verse 13. So go ahead and be turned there if you would. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13. And suffering, I know, is not a popular topic. You probably came today thinking, oh, this is going to be so great. We're going to have a baptism. We're going to praise God. And we're going to hear some uplifting message from the preacher. And it's going to be so encouraging. And then you start hearing about suffering. You probably think, oh, man. Oh, do we have to talk about this? And I wish that I could stand up here and tell you with a straight face that if you become a Christian that everything's all going to be sunshine and roses. You're never going to have any rough patches of life. But we know that's just not the case, is it? That is not the way it is. Uh, being a Christian does not exempt us from suffering. But having said that, Christians can and we should face suffering differently than non-believers do. We're all going to face suffering of some sort or another, but the Christian should have a different perspective. Now, not only do we have the example of Christ, and Peter talks about that later in uh, just a little bit beyond our text, uh, Jesus suffered all kinds of stuff that he didn't deserve. People were, were unkind to him, they mistreated him, they spat on him, they did all kinds of things to him, and yet he suffered uh, with, with grace and with mercy, and we have that example to follow. But beyond that, we also have God's presence with us. You know, sometimes we think, well, uh, Jesus came to get me out of trouble, but he didn't. The Bible says that God is actually, he gets into trouble with us. Psalm 91 records uh, God saying this, He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. So many times we think, well, I'm doing what I should be doing. Therefore, uh, things should be going real smoothly for me. But many times God's in the trouble with us and he's using that, that time of, of adversity to shape us. But on top of all those things, we also have uh, a hope that transforms our suffering. It, it changes the nature of our suffering. So what I want us to do today is, is look at what Peter says to these dispersed, afflicted Christians, and the gist of the text is this. Generally speaking, right living results in divine protection. However, Christians may sometimes be called on to suffer for righteousness. But rather than harm us, this suffering gets us a reward and can be refuted when the testimony of our lips matches the testimony of our lives. Now, that's a bunch of stuff that I just said, isn't it? Hopefully, it'll all come back to you as we uh, read our text, work our way through this. If you found 1 Peter 3, if you would uh, stand with me in honor of God's Word, we're going to begin reading in verse 13 and read down to verse 17. Uh, Peter says this, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you should suffer for doing what is right, rather than for doing what is wrong. Thank you. May be seated. Now, Peter begins with uh, 
with a, a rule of thumb. And his rule of thumb is this, if, and he says this in verse 13, if we live holy lives, we can generally expect divine protection. He doesn't spell it out in so many words, but that's essentially what he says. He said, if you're zealous for doing what's good, who is there to harm you? That's a rhetorical question. The, the implied answer is, who? Nobody. There's nobody uh, who, who's out there to harm us if we're zealous for doing good. Now, we say that, and, but, but at the same time, we realize we live in a rough world, don't we? We live in a world that is filled with people who, uh, who hate God, who are antagonistic towards God. They hate Jesus. They hate all those who, who follow after Jesus. And so, so, but generally speaking, if we desire good, if we're passionate about good, if we're zealous about, uh, about doing good, we can expect God's protection. But there's a tension because, and we already recognize this, in verse 14, he says, but even if you are called on to suffer... So he says in verse 13, you know, generally speaking, uh, you can expect divine protection if you're, if you're living right and, and you're living for God. But then in verse 14 he says, but sometimes you're going to have to suffer. So is he giving this double talk here? Well, no, there, there, there's not really a tension because verse 13 is the rule of thumb. Verse 14 is the exception to that rule. Have you ever noticed it seems like there's an exception to every rule? It's not really a rule exactly if there are exceptions to it, but, but this is a general principle. It's like a proverb. It's a general rule that when generally applied will generally be true. He says, generally speaking, verse 13, if you're, if you're zealous for doing good, you can expect divine protection. Sometimes, verse 14, let's, let's acknowledge that sometimes Christians will have to suffer. Now, Christians suffer all the same stuff that everybody else does. We go through bereavement, we go through, uh, we go through times of grief, times of loss, uh, we go through health issues, there, you know, all that stuff that is, that is common to the lot of man, the Christian experiences as well. But the context here indicates that, this, uh, that this, this opposition, this suffering, is going to be from people. It, it, now, we all go through that stuff, but he is focusing, I think, primarily on people who persecute Christians. Now, that should not surprise us if, if, uh, if people stand against us whenever we're living for God. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, uh, the servant's not greater than the master. If he, basically, and this is, this is just my paraphrase, if they're killing me, guess what they're going to do to you? You know, if, if, if they're going to be nailing me to the cross, you know, we, we always say, well, I want to be Jesus' hands. What happened to his hands? Man, they, he, he got killed. And sometimes, uh, sometimes that we suffer some, some similar type things. We don't go to the cross, but, but, but Christians do suffer persecution, opposition, things like that. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So how should we respond when people are intimidating us, they're trying to scare us, they're trying to trouble us? Look at verse 14 again. He says in verse 14, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Realize that when you suffer for the cause of Christ, you are indeed blessed. Now, some translations don't have the word blessed there. Some translations have the word happy. And the word that's used in the Greek can, can, can mean happy, it can mean fortunate, it has a, a range of meanings. And Peter, I don't think, is saying... Whenever people are, are being mean to you, whenever they are persecuting you, that should make you just giddy inside. 
That's not what he's saying. He's, he, he's, he's not saying we take a strange pleasure in pain. But rather he's saying that, that in the pain, there's privilege. We're privileged when we suffer. Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, you remember this? He said, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now as Christians, we know that suffering and pain are not the end. Aren't you glad about that? I mean, sometimes you go through stuff and, and, and it's like, man, I just can't keep going. But we know that we have an inheritance in heaven that's waiting for us. And Paul says that, that what's waiting for us is so amazing that no matter what it is that we face in this life, isn't even worthy to be compared with the glory that we're going to experience. Therefore, verse 14, don't fear their intimidation. The text literally says, don't fear their fear. So in other words, sometimes, maybe at work, we try to live out our Christian life and somebody's going to be like, oh, you go to church? Oh, you're one of those people. Oh, I, I used to work with somebody just like you. And they'll try, to, they'll try to intimidate us, maybe subtly, maybe more overtly, and they'll try to intimidate us into not living the way that we know that we should. And the Bible says, don't fear their intimidation. Don't fear their fear. And neither, look at verse 14, and do not be troubled. Don't do it. Instead, verse 15, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Now, to sanctify means to set, a, to set apart as, as being holy or separate or different. Now, Jesus is holy regardless of what our view of him is. But I think what he's saying is this. If we will get a right perspective of Jesus and we put him in his proper place, all these other things, suffering, intimidation, fear, all that stuff will be put in its proper place. Do you get that? If we will put Jesus number one in our lives and, and he is Lord, we're following him, we're doing what he says, we're worried about he, uh, making him happy, not making everybody else happy. When we do that, Somebody saying, oh, you're a Christian? We'd say, yeah, I am. You want to become one too? You know, it, it changes our perspective. When we, when we see that Jesus is Lord and we sanctify him as, as, as Lord in our hearts and we go through some time of suffering, we can recognize this is bad, but one of these days I'm going to be a Jesus in heaven. See, that if we sanctify Christ as Lord in our heart, it will put everything else in a different perspective. Now, before we move on, I want you to see verse 14 again very quickly. If your Bible's like mine and, and, uh, and, and it does it up here because this is the same translation that I used, uh, you'll notice verse 14 has some text that's in all caps. Your Bible may use some other convention. But with mine, it use, it, it's the NASB, and it, it uses all caps to show this is a quote from the Old Testament. And like I said, yours may just have a little footnote, but it will it, probably set it apart in some way. This is a reference to Isaiah chapter 8. And the context of that passage is, all these people are going to get all upset, but you don't get upset about the things they get upset about. You don't fear the same things that they fear. Instead, 
you need to be, your, your concern should be with me. You fear me, not be scared of God, but all reverence, respect. Fear me rather than fear people, be scared of them. And so that's why Peter quotes that. And he says, you know what, if you will set Jesus apart as, as Lord in your heart, verse 15, whoever it is that tries to intimidate you, it's all, you don't have to be worried about it. As if, we're, if we fear God, we don't have to fear man. Okay, so, so, so we, we have a word here about, uh, about suffering. But Peter moves on from that idea directly into giving a defense or an answer, your Bible may say a reason, for the hope that lies within us, verse 15. Now again, a few things stand out to me. The first is that the context seems to indicate our answer is related to our suffering. Look at verse 15 again. It says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And I think the connection is this. Sometimes we'll suffer, especially for our faith, and people are looking at the way that you handle yourself. When they say, you know what? I remember that person, they go to church about every week. I remember that person, when I was going through a hard time, they said, I'll be praying for you. Maybe they had a word of encouragement. I, I remember all these things, and now that they're going through some stuff, maybe I was going through, maybe it's something else, I'm going to watch how they're behaving themselves. I'm going to see if, if what they're saying is matching the way that they live. And when we respond differently than what the world does, they're going to ask us about our faith, verse 15, and then we should always be ready to give a response. Be ready to share the hope that you have in your heart, the hope of heaven, the difference that Jesus has made in our lives, the way our life was before, the difference Jesus made, and the way it is now. That's a great basic testimony. How was it before? How did you get saved? And what's it been like since then? And the imagery of this passage is that of giving testimony in a court of law. Now, if you've ever been to court... You know that the person on the stand, or if you watch Matlock, anybody watch Matlock? Yeah, Scarlett does. Oh, the old Ben Matlock and his white or gray suits. And, you know, they, they get him up on the stand. And any, any court shows like this, they get up on the stand and they testify about what they've seen and heard, about what they know. And a lot of times people say, well, I just, I just don't have a good answer. I'm, if people ask me these questions, I'm not going to know the answer. I can't remember. I don't even know where to start. And... And, and we get all concerned about it. But what does Peter say here in verse 15? You give an answer for the hope that lies within you. The imagery is that of a witness in a courtroom. Now, you may not know all the answers, but you know what's happened to you. And isn't that what Jesus said? He said, You're, I want you to be my witnesses. Judea, Samaria, and so on and so forth. I, I, I remember as I read this... Um, John chapter 9, there was a, the incident of the man born blind. You remember that? They're walking along, and Jesus and the disciples see this man born blind. And the disciples said, Jesus, who was it that sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You remember this incident? And so Jesus says, well, you guys are missing it. Neither of those things happened. Uh, basically, he was born blind that God's going to get glory. Paraphrase. And so Jesus heals the man, but he does it on the Sabbath. And that makes, the, that makes the, the Pharisees and everybody, that gets them real upset. 
and their nose is all out of joint. So they start questioning the man. They're questioning his parents. And they just keep asking this man questions about Jesus. And, and finally, the man says this. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And he, he basically says, you know what, guys? I don't have all the answers to all the questions y'all are asking. But here's what I can tell you. This is what I was. I was blind, and now I see. All I know is Jesus did that. You guys can sort, sort out all the details. This is what happened to me. This is what I know. And that is what Peter's calling us to. We don't have to have all the answers It would be nice if we did. But we don't have to have them all, but we can say, this is what Jesus did in my life. Nobody can refute that. Nobody can. Now, having said all that, I believe the passage goes beyond that. Because we do need to be prepared to engage in conversations with people around us. Some people are, are open to the truth. Some people are seeking it. Some people are not. Some people are hostile towards it. And again, when you, when you get into conversations, are you going to have all the answers? I love when Jehovah's Witnesses come. Do you guys ever? Now, some people, you know, they, they won't answer the door. They, all this stuff, they show up. I'm, I'm like, great. You're, you're coming to my door. I'll, I'll visit with you. I don't have all the answers. But you know what? Hopefully I can put a rock in their shoe. So as they walk around and they're thinking about the things that we talked about, maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit can use that. Where they say, yeah, that, what I'm believing doesn't make sense. Now, you don't have to have all the answers. And, and sometimes we talk to people at work or, or in the family or whatever it is, and they're going to ask us things. We're going to say, you know what, that's a good question. I've never thought of that. Well, let me think about it and do some reading, and I'll get back in touch with you. And then do it. Don't just use that as an excuse to get out of the conversation. We have a reasonable faith. And listen, there is a big push against the word faith in our culture today because people think faith equals gullibility. Gullibility and faith are not the same thing. Gullibility is believing something without evidence. Faith is believing something because of the evidence. See, we have a reasonable faith. Our Faith is based on historical fact. Jesus was a real person. He really died on the cross. He really rose from the dead. He really is the Son of God. So we put our faith in Him based on the evidence. Now, are some aspects of the Christian faith pretty tough to understand? Tougher than I? It's beyond me. But you know what? I sure am glad because I'm not very smart. And if I could figure out everything about God, He wouldn't be a very big God. Because I'm not very smart. But you know what? Even those things that, that we can't really comprehend, we can just apprehend a little bit, as somebody will said, those things don't go against reason, they go beyond reason. And it's in this spirit that we're going to start our next uh, study on Wednesday nights. We've been studying the disciples here the last several weeks. And this week we'll be talking about Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Christ. He's going to be our last one. But then, probably within the next couple of weeks, whenever the study comes in, uh, we're going to do a study called Making Abortion Unthinkable. Making Abortion Unthinkable. Because I believe we need to have an answer for even those things. Because our faith should inform every aspect of our lives, including the right to life. Now, I would say probably most everybody here, if not everybody, 
abhors abortion. It's been a blight on our nation for years. But you know what? We need to have the ability to have an intelligent discussion about those things. About a biblical basis for why those things are right or wrong. And, and you probably know there are all these videos coming out from Planned Parenthood about what's hap- actually happening inside those places. The horrors of abortion, the, the selling of human body parts to make a buck. And I think we probably have an opportunity that maybe we've never had before and maybe we'll never have again to engage people in conversation about those things. So we're going to start that on, on, uh, on Wednesdays. But anyway, let's, let's move on. Look at verse 15, the end of it. How are we supposed to give our answers? With gentleness and respect or reverence. We need to be careful how we deliver our our uh, our answers. You remember the old the old saying, you can catch more flies with what? Honey than vinegar. We need to have a little honey in, in, in what we're saying. We need to treat people with the golden rule. Treat them with respect. If, he, if you wouldn't want somebody talking to you a certain way, don't talk to them a certain way. It's common courtesy. But sometimes we get so passionate about the truth and given our answers that we tell them the truth, but we do it in a very unappealing way. And the truth is going to be offensive enough we don't have to add to it with the way that we're acting. I think of a few times when, when I have violated this command. Probably the most clear cut in my mind was one time Scarlett was at a, a book club meeting or something. And I don't know how it got brought up. Somehow they got talking about the Bible. And this man, and I wasn't there, but and I don't remember all the details. He was making some kind of comments about the Bible wasn't reliable and translations, all these things. And that's kind of my soapbox. And I don't know exactly what transpired, but somehow it got worked around. You need to have a meeting with my husband. Bless your heart. And so we sat down at at a at a, a restaurant. But the thing is, it wasn't. You need to have a meeting with my husband today. Because if I'm just put on the spot, that would have been a lot better, I think. But instead, you need to have a meeting with my husband, and it works out with our schedule in a week or two. So, guess what I'm doing? For a week or two, man, I'm cramming. I, I know all this stuff. I want to refresh on it. I want to make sure I have my numbers right. I want to make sure I have all this stuff in line. And I sit down with the man, and it all came out. I mean, I unloaded on him, and I, I wasn't being mean. But, boy, it was just bam, 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 bam. And I had a big old thick book. Um, what is his name? It was uh, Truth that Demand, uh, Evidence that Demands a Verge or something like that, Josh McDowell. He has a big section about the reliability of Scripture. And I, I gave him the whole thing. Not with paper form. It was verbally. He got a load of truth. But it probably wasn't very appealing, the way that I presented it. Now... I just hope that God has used that in some way because my part of it, I didn't do very good. I, I gave him the truth, but, but we need to do it with gentleness and respect. Okay? You can, there, there's that word that's used a lot today, winsome. We need to be winsome in, in our testimony. Okay, so anyhow, we've, uh, generally speaking, Christians, if, if we're living like we should, we can, we can expect divine protection. Sometimes we are called on to suffer when we do. Uh, we need to be uh, 
realize that it's getting us a reward. We need to respond in a different way. And when we do, people are going to ask us about our faith. When that happens, we need to be ready to give them an answer. And then the very last point that he makes in verse, uh, verses 16 and 17. Our walk must match our talk. Our walk must match our talk. He says if you're living as good as what you're talking... People are going to falsely accuse you, and when that happens, if you're living like you're supposed to be, it's going to be obvious to everybody that's a false accusation and going to embarrass the person making the accusation. As one writer said, profession without practice has no weight. In other words, if all you do is you talk about your faith, but your, but your faith does not inform and transform the rest of your life, all you're doing is blowing a bunch of hot air. The Bible calls that hypocrisy. So live out your faith. Don't just talk out your faith. Those are some pretty straightforward truths, aren't they? And I, I think Peter's personality really comes comes through in, in what he's writing here because, uh, I mean, there, there's, you know, there's no fancy language. He doesn't put on airs. He says, do this, this, this. Very straightforward. Hard to misunderstand. But I think the the key to this whole passage hinges on one command, and that is sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. That's the highlight of the text, because if you do that, it'll eradicate fear. It'll give you a better perspective on suffering. It'll cause you to be prepared to give that respectful answer about your faith. It'll cause us to live with integrity and to keep a good conscience, which he says in verse 16. It'll cause us to live our faith, not just talk our faith. And that's what I want to challenge you to do today. Set Christ apart as Lord in your heart. Now that's not, you don't have to go through a a big uh, religious uh, experience, rigmarole. You don't have to do some ceremony. But what it means is you, you set him apart as special in your life. You recognize that he's Lord. You honor him. You revere him. Part of this is submitting to his lordship. That means you do what he says. At my work and at your work, you do what your boss says. Well, Jesus being Lord, part of that means he's the boss. You do what he says. You keep his commandments. And I want to encourage you to do that today because it's gonna, if, if we will get Jesus in the right place in our lives, all these other things will start to align themselves correctly. Because what happens is we put the wrong thing in, in the number one place in our life and it's like putting a puzzle piece in the wrong place. Nothing that connects to is going to fit right. Put Jesus as Lord in your life. Sanctify Him as Lord. And these other things fall into place. The second challenge that, that this text has for us today is to be ready to give an answer to the hope that lies within you. Are you ready to give an answer? If you were to go to lunch today, and you went to the Pizza Hut buffet, which I know a lot of you went yesterday or last week. You sit down at the Pizza Hut buffet, and you pray over your food, and somebody says, "Hey, sometimes I see people do that, bow their heads. Why do you guys even pray?" Uh, uh, preacher, what did you tell them? Are you ready to give an answer? Well, the Bible says that. All things are good, and, and uh, we, we should give thanks for it. All, all good gifts come from God, and pizza is a good gift. 
Amen? All right. I got an amen off of that. No, seriously, though. I mean, we, we have opportunities. Do you take the opportunities that you're given? Because sometimes people, man, they, they give us a, a, just a, a floater right over the plate. And we say, oh, well, um, because, you know, when we muddle around, maybe we don't say anything. Again, he's not saying everybody has to deliver a, a, a message, a sermon. You don't have to give from people, but just take the opportunities that you're given. Just to brag on Jesus a little bit. And the final challenge that he has here is to live out your faith. When? Sunday? Yep. And Monday? And Tuesday? And Wednesday? And Thursday? And Friday? And Saturday? At church? Yeah. What about work? Yep. What about at home? Yep. What about when you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off? Yep. What about when all these other things happen? Yep. Wherever God's put you, He expects you to live out your faith. Because if our lives will match what we're saying, then what we're saying has an impact. Because if what we're saying doesn't match what we're doing, people say, well, that's just another one of those, there's another one of those hypocrites. And those Christians go right on by. I want you to stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And nobody looking around, I realize that what I've said isn't, it's not rocket science. What does it boil down to? Be ready because if you're a Christian, you may have to suffer. Unsurprisingly, people may not like the things that you do and say. But you don't have to fear them because if you put Christ number one in your life, you'd be worried about pleasing Him, about uh, making Him happy, not making people happy. And then when things go south and and things aren't working the way that they should, and, and you know there's tragedy, there's sickness, there's whatever it is, you're suffering for your faith, but you're already telling about Jesus. Why aren't you despairing this stuff's happening? You have heaven. You have God in, in the midst of it with you. Imagine Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. After they got out of the fire, somebody says, Hey, I heard you went through a fire. What happened? Well, I had some positive thinking. No. There was one right there with me, and he was Jesus. Walking around in the fire with me. But I realized that what I'm saying may not be true of everybody, because you and you, you don't have Jesus with you, you don't have God's presence in your life because you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. I hear people all the time that say, well, I pray. The Bible says if we regard iniquity in our hearts, God will not hear us. And 
And maybe today you need to repent of your sin. You need to turn your back on it and put your faith in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. encourage you to do that today. For the suffering Christian, again, God is with you, no matter what it is that you face. So respond the right way. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful that that even though we go through the same things that the rest of the world does and sometimes even more things because we know that we get enemies that we never had when we become Christians, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and, and those things are aligned against us. We're thankful that you don't leave us. You don't uh, expect us to do it in our own strength, but you're right there with us. And God, I ask you to help each of us as we go through this life to... Um, if, if we experience some, some suffering, some harm, some tragedy, that we would respond in, uh, in a godly way, that we would respond in a way knowing that we have you with us, that we have heaven waiting for us, and the joys that we can't even imagine that go along with that. And God, help us whenever we're presented with those opportunities to, to tell other people about you. Help us to recognize them and to share our faith, to be confident, not expecting ourselves to have all the answers, but just to uh, just tell what you've done in our lives. And God, help us ultimately to live in such a way that our words and our lives match. No matter where we are, no matter who we're around, that we would be consistent the same on Sunday and Saturday or on Wednesday or any other day of the week. God, if there's somebody who's never accepted Christ, I, I pray for them, I lift them up and ask that you would, uh, would, would draw them, would woo them by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.